0: Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by TechSystems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to TechSystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Welcome to a special episode of the show brought to you in partnership with Arlington Economic Development, where we discuss issues related to the workforce, the role of place in the future of work, and the role of the creative sector in a larger business context. We call this return on creativity. Today, we're going to talk about the future of nonprofits and what it will take to create and grow the nonprofit of the future, as well as some of the current challenges facing these organizations. To help me discuss this topic, I'm going to be welcoming two guests to the show, Cindy Yeh, Senior Business Ambassador at Arlington Economic Development, and Steve Blair, President of LIS, Lyceum Insurance Services. First, I'd like to welcome Cindy Ye from Arlington Economic Development to the show. Cindy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Greg, for having me.
0: Yeah, looking forward to talking about mm-hmm. this with you. Uh, why don't we get started, though, by mm-hmm. you giving a little background on your role at um, Arlington Economic Development and how it relates to nonprofits?
1: Sure. Yes. Good morning, Greg. I'm with Arlington County, Virginia Department of Economic Development. I focus on business development and the marketing side of economic development. My role is to attract companies and businesses to Arlington and also work with existing organizations to make sure that they're pleased with the county and will continue to stay and grow. Nonprofit organizations and associations are one of the key industries in Arlington. And um, Arlington has about 300 nonprofit organizations that employ close to 8,500 people. So it's an important sector for Arlington's economy.
0: Great, great. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, definitely looking forward to getting some of your insights on on nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So let's get started with um, the COVID-19 pandemic has Mm -hmm. certainly affected all types of businesses, but nonprofits can be particularly vulnerable when money for donations can become more difficult to obtain. How has the Arlington nonprofit community weathered the latest challenges posed by the pandemic?
1: Um, very good question. But let me say, by start by saying that not all nonprofits are created equal. Some nonprofits are doing very well and thriving during the uh, pandemic. It really hasn't affected them. But, um, but I have to say, too, um, I believe early in the pandemic, it was especially challenging for many nonprofits throughout Arlington and the county, I may say. Um, Arlington is the head of uh, headquarters for a lot of nonprofits, foundations, and associations, both large ones with household names such as the American Diabetes Association and the Nature Conservancy that employs several hundred people and have thousands of members and, and um, volunteers. And to lesser known organizations, you know, except to their own industries, such as organizations named such as the North American Millers Association and the USA Rice Federation. They're all headquartered in Arlington. And um, a large majority of these nonprofits generate revenues through membership, donations, hosting events and conferences. Well, almost overnight, the pandemic put a halt on these in-person conferences and events and stopped the association's largest revenue-generating sources. Um, For those organizations with more reserves, they were able to tap into that reserve and continue to maintain programming and staff. However, um, I'm sad to say many organizations were forced to downsize by laying off staff and dramatically cut down on its programs and services. It's now two years into the pandemic and I believe nonprofits had to adjust and pivot and are now just re-emerging and are stabilizing.
0: Well, yeah, and it sounds like mm-hmm. there's definitely a, quite a diverse group of, of nonprofits in, in Arlington. Mm-hmm. How, is, how is an organization like Arlington mm-hmm. Economic Development uniquely positioned to assist these nonprofits really of, of all kinds?
1: Well, um, I believe the qualities and assets that attracted nonprofits to Arlington and just the Washington, D.C. area are similar to what attracted for-profit companies as well. It's proximity and easy access to decision and policy makers on Capitol Hill and the federal government, given that advocacy work is a heavy focus for many nonprofits. And access to highly skilled talent and workforce and accessibility to transit, you know, the three airports in the area. And just the abundance of amenities in this area, you know, that attracted them to Arlington in the first place. Um, Arlington is one of the most educated counties in the nation with 75 percent of adults with bachelor's degrees, you know, and 40 percent with advanced Degrees and some of the nation's top nonprofit management graduate programs are nearby, including like American University, George Mason University. So through the years, this area has developed a dense cluster of nonprofits and built up an ecosystem that surrounds it to make it make the nonprofits successful. Um, The services that Arlington Economic Development offer nonprofits are similar to what we offer for profits, including acting as liaison for the, the the organizations and making connections for them, whether it's to connect them with universities for their research and workforce needs, or to introduce them to potential partners and members, and to identify resources that could support their growth. Um, Arlington Economic Development also promote our nonprofits via our marketing channels, whether it's through social media, online newsletter, press releases, et cetera, since we have several thousand business subscribers and followers. And uh, during the pandemic, I just remember a special project that we did in August 2020. We celebrated National Nonprofit Day. By creating a dedicated website focused on Arlington's nonprofit organizations, you know as men as I mentioned, there are close to 300 nonprofits in Arlington, and their missions cover a diverse set of issues. We focused on four main clusters for this uh, for celebrating National Nonprofit Day. The four clusters are in, for environmental, international development, health and wellness, and local aid. That was the four main clusters of nonprofits in Arlington. Our website highlighted these four clusters and linked it to their nonprofit donation page, pages so people can donate and support Arlington's nonprofits. And I also want to mention Arlington County also works with several nonprofit organizations through Arlington's Community Development Fund each year for funding and assistance to support these nonprofits. The Community Development Fund provides grants through a combination of federal, state, and local sources. Um, the addressed areas are in affordable housing, health, and self-sufficient families and sustain- sustainable neighborhoods. So that's how Arlington County supports nonprofits.
0: Yeah, just, just a few things yeah. there. So yeah, no, that's that's great to <laughs> great to hear. There's there's so much. Uh, so much that you're able to do to really you know support these organizations as they grow and 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 navigate the months ahead. Um, so to to that point, you know what does the future nonprofit look like? You know we've we've been through a lot of change over the last couple of years now as as you were just saying. How can a nonprofit position itself for stability, leverage partnerships like those with AED as well as other organizations in order to become more sustainable? Uh, because, you know, who, know, who knows what's, what's ahead?
1: Correct. Um, I believe the pandemic actually forced many nonprofits to reevaluate its existing services and programs. I was just talking to several organizations and they said that they had to take a hard look at all their services and programs and ended up eliminating several programs that are not generating the returns and benefits for the organization and their members. They realized that they were hosting perhaps events and programs just because they were doing it for year after year. The pandemic and slowdown allowed them to reevaluate, where to devote resources and money that best serve the organization. And I also know several nonprofits started investing in technology, especially data analytics software for gathering business intelligence on its members, such as data on membership engagement, renewal rates, break, and these data will allow it to break down by geography and demographics, and to use the Dave data for analysis to make better business decisions for these nonprofits. Um, For example, there are several technology companies in Arlington that have developed a data analytics software exclusively for nonprofits to use. Um, There's a company called Association Analytics that has developed a software platform that allows the associations to gather all of its data together in one place with an easy to read dashboards. So the associations, you know, management can slice and dice the data with a few clicks and to gain insight into its membership. Um, this allowed the association to use real time, you know, solid data to make business decisions. Um, another tech company in Arlington is Higher Logic, and its software platform is to allow the nonprofits to better engage with its members and the community. And as I mentioned before, Arlington and the Washington area have a dense cluster of nonprofits. And there's an ecosystem, including for profit technology companies, that service and work with these nonprofits.
0: Mm-hmm. To to that point, you know, what's what's one piece of advice that you have for nonprofits as they navigate the months ahead and uh, chart a new course towards the future?
1: I would recommend the nonprofits to focus on their core mission and continue to do what they do best. It may require taking a hard look at all their existing programs and services and offerings, and unfortunately eliminate a, and reduce some that are no longer you know, best serving their organizations. I think this is how they could be mean and lean, and that's the best way to go forward.
0: One last question, um, You know, how do these nonprofits learn more about the vast resources available from AED and as well as Arlington County?
1: We, um, our staff at Arlington Economic Development routinely out, outreach to all our nonprofits and essentially all our companies in Arlington. We have a very robust uh, business engagement program we go out to visit them physically, go meet with them. Our staff go uh, attend events and conferences. Some of them target nonprofits. We exhibit at some of these nonprofits, you know, annual conferences. We attend their shows, so we are constantly out there. And we have a uh, newsletter. We have an events calendar. We reach out to these, so these nonprofits can know we we are around, and we so we can. So they can take advantage of all the services and resources that we we, uh, provide for these nonprofits.
0: Wonderful, that's great. Well, Cindy, thanks so much for joining.
1: Thank you very much, it's my pleasure.
0: Next, I'd like to welcome Steve Blair from LIS, Lyceum Insurance Services to the show.
2: Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, definitely. So why don't we start by you giving a little background on your role um, at LIS and you know how it relates to nonprofits.
2: Sure. Um, Lyceum Insurance Services, LIS, is, is my company. I'm the owner and the president and the chief consultant here. And most of what I do is working in support of the nonprofit sector. I, I do work extensively in the for-profit sector, but I have a a special place in my heart for nonprofits. And they account for probably around 80% of my total extensive block of business. And I, I just love working in the community. Um, and I support, you know, social service nonprofits, all the way to trade associations and kind of everything in between. And it it's really a unique marketplace because though, Many nonprofits operate much like you would think a for-profit company does. There are there are a unique set of parameters that that really make the nonprofit sector a little bit different than for profits, and and it's that uniqueness that that really makes it special for me, and I and I enjoy working in the space.
0: Great. Well, yeah, looking forward to talk about this topic with you. So, as you mentioned, you work a lot with nonprofits in, in your business and must see a lot of trends and changes in the space. So let's let's talk through a few things here. How would you summarize the effect that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on not the nonprofits that you work with as it pertains to operations and the business side of things?
2: Yeah, I, I, I've really been in a unique situation because we do employee benefits consulting. And, and as such, we're directly involved working with health insurance and life and disability insurance. And all of these employee-related benefits are, are directly impacted with COVID, especially since we're talking about caring for people's health. And and I've been in a lot of direct communication, not only with my employer groups, the, the nonprofits, but their employees as well during this pandemic time. And, you know, I've been able to get a really nice perspective on on the challenges that that organizations are facing, as well as the challenges that employees are facing, and and we've seen that you know turn into you know where people have moved on to other jobs and um, and other things like that. So to kind of loop back around to your question, it's uh, it's been very difficult for nonprofits, and and they've gone through a lot of adjustment because with COVID, a lot of big things have, have affected organizations, whether it's through fundraising, whether it's through going through their mission, whether it's through interacting with their staff. From a, a fundraising perspective, we're seeing nonprofits being impacted in a number of ways. One of the big ways that I've I've seen is a lot of our nonprofits, you know, they, they hold these big annual meetings and those big annual meetings are a lot of their big fundraisers. And they've haven't been able, we're, we're starting to see more of this come into to back in the focus of in-person events. But, you know, all these events were in-person events and it was pretty much like overnight that, that organizations had to scramble and decide, how are we going to manage this? We can't have an in-person event. And, you know, a majority of our annual budget comes from our fundraising efforts right. during these events. And so, um, you know, Organizations were impacted and they had to make a lot of decisions on the fly to, you know, moving from in-person events to virtual events and having the right technology and policies and procedures in place to be able to host that type of event in a meaningful way that that provided good information and content to, to members that were joining, um, but also for organizations to be able to capture the donations that they're looking for and, and the direct impact on that on their bottom line. From a, a employment standpoint, you know, all of a sudden overnight people were in the office one day and the next day they were working remote. And and the challenges associated with that. You know, there's there's a lot of advantages with people working remote um, and a lot of, you know, and some disadvantages as well. You know, I've I've heard people tell me, I don't ever want to go back to the office. And that's that's a challenge right. I think employers are facing right now. Um, especially in trying to attract and retain employees, and I'll, I'll get to all of that in a in, next. But you know, employees really enjoyed working from home in many ways, and, it, and it's funny. Depending on the research that you read, I've, I've seen both sides of this coin. Where employees are saying, "I have a way better work-life balance," but then I'm also reading articles and, and, and uh, studies that show that employees also are getting burnout because they're they're working longer hours than they were before because they feel like they're always on. So it's been it really depends on who you talk to and the type of research that you get. But th- this has led to a lot of challenges as employers are trying to decide, okay, what are we going to do moving forward? You know, if employees are used to working on a remote basis and and now we're we're trying to get them to come back in the office and I'm seeing My larger nonprofits are starting to work towards coming back to the office, my smaller nonprofits. So when I say smaller, you know, nonprofits with less than 50 employees, and 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 a lot of this really has to do with the industry too. I mean, if I'm a nonprofit that's serving, you know, um, low income or or homeless communities with medical care, obviously that's not something that can be done from home. You know, but a lot of my organizations that that can work from home are continuing to work from home, and the smaller ones seem to be staying remote my larger nonprofits are starting to try to get employees to come into the office. And the most common um, kind of theme to that that I'm seeing is, you know, bringing employees back on kind of a hybrid work basis where, you know, they're coming into the office for two or three days a week and and they're working from home the other days a week. And, and I think what's driving a lot of that a lot of that from what i'm i'm hearing is number 1 collaboration employers are feeling like employees aren't able to collaborate as well working remote you know we're all getting kind of fatigue from zooms and yeah. and slack conversations and you know over you know slack has been a great tool in the nonprofit sector a lot of my clients have adopted it but it's you know it's text messaging and it's great for you know, the younger people that are used to using that type of medium to to communicate, um, but but something is lost, you know, from from just typing to having a conversation with somebody. And so, so there's been an issue where organizations are finding that or feeling that, you know, they're not getting the collaboration that they felt like they were getting prior to COVID. So they're trying to get employees to come back to the office at least on a part-time basis so that they can have those collaboration days. And my nonprofits that are really pushing that are those that, you know, have big office spaces and, and multi-year long leases. And yeah, and those are the ones that are really trying to, to get people to come back in, but they're doing so and and being very thoughtful in how they come in because the workspace has changed a little bit. So we're starting to see a lot more innovation in our nonprofits and, and creating more flexible workspace, given that, you know, people are coming in. I've you know, I have some of my larger nonprofits are setting up ping pong tables and foosball tables and cornhole, to, you know, to be able to have events that, you know, have activities that employees could do when they come into the office to make it a little bit more fun. Um, and, and I think that's part of that whole flexibility of workspace. And in talking to a lot of the commercial real estate people that I network with, it's um, you know a lot of them are saying that employers that are out looking for space right now are looking for that flex space because even though somebody may not be in the office full time, you, you still have to have a seat for their butt when they do come in. So, right. so they're they're just looking for more interesting ways to create workspace that that not only helps employees feel safer when they're on in the office with, you know, having people spread out as opposed to being stacked on top of each other, you know, putting in commercial air purification systems, um, you know, having mask mandates when people are in the office. Um, we're, we're starting to see a lot of innovation from that. And I think nonprofits, given that they're very flexible um, and very people oriented in general, uh, which is why I like to work with them, um, you know we I think they're a good space to be able to you know to drive some of this of innovation within the, the workplace yeah. um you know from a another perspective is um, that that employees are feeling like they're being forced back into the office space and and that leads to some discontent. Um, I was recently talking to somebody who was forced to come back to work full time in the office and he had had COVID 60 days prior and then just tested positive again. And he's like, I feel like my employer is making me come into the office and now they're making me get sick by, by exposing me potentially to higher risk. And, and he's thinking, I, I may need to look for a new job.
0: Yeah. Well, that, and that actually brings me to, to the next topic too, which is, you know, related to COVID, but, you know, still a distinct topic The you know, the great resignation as they're calling it, there's, there's a bunch of names for it, but you know, it's, it's affected businesses of all kinds, not just nonprofits, but you know, from, from your standpoint, um, how has it uniquely affected nonprofits?
2: Uh, It's, it's really affected. We've, we've seen kind of an overall when, and, and at, you know our revenue for our organization is tied to employees being at work and having health insurance and these yeah. other benefits and we've seen an impact to our revenues during the covid time period because people started to move on and they they started to move on for a variety of different reasons um you know there's a lot more competitiveness as as more organizations in a variety of different industries you know s- instead of Focusing their recruiting efforts locally now, you have a lot of national competition out there, and and even though the Washington D.C. metropolitan area, specifically, we're talking about Arlington County here, is a a major work hub and a you know a major metropolitan area, you have organizations coming out of New York City and L.A. and Chicago, some of these really big markets that that drive a lot of you know, high level um, salaries that they're out recruiting with, um, you know, competing against people in some, the metropolitan markets might be considered a little bit smaller than New York City. Um, they're having trouble competing with with the type of benefits and salaries that some of these other organizations are having. And so you're getting a lot of your senior talent getting picked off by by other organizations that normally wouldn't have been recruiting in your marketplace. Right. You know, and I think a lot of it, you know, there was a lot of mental health related and behavioral health related issues that came out of COVID and people started saying, is this what I really want to do with my life? You know, and so I talking to people that were like, you know what, I'm just not going to work for a bit. I've always thought about writing this book and I'm going to step back from what I'm doing at work and I'm going to take a sabbatical and 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 either quit and move on which we saw a lot or just taking a temporary sabbatical for people to kind of decide is this what i want to really be doing with my life so so we've seen you know people and another is innovation you know i was talking to a number of senior people that have left their organizations to create their own organizations so we've been seeing some innovation from that standpoint where people are saying all right I think now's the time for me to kind of jump ship and and start this thing that I've been wanting to do for a while. And a combination of all of those things has led to a lot of people moving on. And not only have people moved on to other careers... But people have moved on to where they're living. Right. You know, I've a lot of my clients had employees that were living and working in Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. And it was like overnight, I was not only talking to people, you know, on the West Coast and, and in more rural markets. A lot of people seem to more, move to more rural areas. Um, but even overseas, I had people that were, you know, I was talking to people in that were like, I'm going to ride this out in Egypt or in Brazil and a lot of places around the country or I'm sorry around the world all of a sudden it it made the employers have a lot more challenges when it comes to communication you know how are we going to actively communicate and, and if we want to bring people in how are how are we going to do that and i've been reading a lot of studies during this resignation time um, where employers are having trouble attracting and retaining talent you know of employees you know where where employers previously used to pay people that did work remote on a lower pay scale. And now they're trying to, to, to go back to that type of model and say, okay, well, if you're going to work remote, that's fine. But, you know, we're going to have to move your salary to this. Um, You know, the, the, the seat that's driving this right now is the employees. They have a lot more power than they had in the past. They're just straight up telling employers, no, if you want to cut my pay, I'm going to, you know, there's other organizations out there that are very happy to hire me. Um, at at the same, if not more money. So, um, so it's been a, a real big challenge for, for not only nonprofits, but other employers as well being impacted in this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do you see as being critical for nonprofits to invest in in the months ahead as the world continues to evolve as, you know, as, as you've articulated here, uh, not only from the early days of the pandemic, but just from even more recent events.
2: I think, I think non, you know, and I'm, I'm getting a lot of people calling me, especially with this great resignation, and they're like, where, where do we need to invest? What do we need to do to, to keep the people that we have and to be able to get new people in here that we need? And, you know, I, resoundingly, when you look at the data, number one is compensation. You know, people, I think employers are going to have to make investments and increase their pay to be able to attract and retain. Um, number two is offering very good benefits. And, and, you know, many of my nonprofits offer good benefits, but, you know, that you only have so many dollars to work with when you have a budget. And if my number one is compensation and number two is health insurance, especially during this pandemic time when people are really wanting good coverage, I think employers are going to have to make investments in, in their people to to protect, you know, kind of like the sword and shield. I need a, a, a shield to block out you know, other entities trying to come and and gather my my staff and take them away, and I need a sword to go out there and and attract employees and be a little bit more offensive and, and trying to get talent in. And, and the bottom line for that is people are organizations are going to have to make even more investments in in their number one and number two often general ledger items, compensation and and employee benefits. Um, and that, you know, that depends on, you know, employee benefits is going to be number two on that if, unless somebody's got a huge rent and then it's number three. But it's always number two or number three, it seems, in terms of expenditures. Um, also, you know, I think as we start seeing a lot more innovation within communications, whether that's making investments to be able to communicate better with our teams and find different ways to be able to collaborate if we're not going to be having people come back into the office, Um, But also, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, how can we either through making investments in technology or investments in social media marketing, how are we going to do a better job at communicating with our donors to ensure, especially if we're heading into a recession, which, you know, all indicators seem to look like we are based off of everything that I've been reading, you know. During recessionary periods, donors and donor dollars are directly impacted by that. And I think it behooves all organizations to make investments in ways, whether it is through direct communication or social media marketing, uh, to be able to go out and, and continue to strengthen those ties with donors and, and keep that revenue flowing. That's great.
0: Well, one last question before we wrap up here, you know, someone that the, you're you and your company deal a lot with employee benefits you know a lot of the things that you've mentioned reference uh, you know just offering flexibility and you mm-hmm. know as long as the work gets done does it really matter how things get done so you know question for you is you know is flexibility the new benefit
2: i think it is and i, I was it's funny that you you say that in particular i was reading an article this morning just about that it that that flexibility is you know is going to be key and and employees because they're working from home they're they're often working more flexible hours i mean i myself yesterday um on memorial day had two meetings with people that were like i really need to talk to you can you talk to me on memorial day and you know i could have easily said no but I said yes, because I had the time and I was being flexible myself to be able to accommodate. And and that flexibility is not only in, you know, and, and this is one of the nice things about people working from home. If I have the flexibility, if I have to go to a doctor's appointment, or I have to go bring something to my, you know, cupcakes to my kid's school or whatever it happens to be, when I'm working from home, given, you know, thinking about, I, as long as I'm getting my work done, you know, I have more flexibility. I can work a little bit before hours. I can work a little bit after hours. But if if I'm giving the flexibility for my employees to say, hey, I have to go to the doctor's appointment today. Great. Go to the doctor's appointment and come home and finish your work. Right, right. You know, right. it gives people a lot more options. And when you think about flexibility as a whole, think about kind of pre-pandemic when people were working in an office space and juggling Taking kids to daycare and picking up kids from daycare and preparing meals for kids and you know taking vacations and you know having to plan you know car maintenance and and having to get gas and right. all these things that you think about that were kind of rote prior to COVID. When we started working from home, we got a lot more flexibility in how we were managing our childcare. How are we were managing our our pets at home or grocery shopping and. You know, there's so many, I just thinking about myself, my wife and I both work from home, you know, and when we need groceries, we order them from the store and they're delivered to the front porch and we get a break, we run down and grab them and throw them in the fridge and the pantry and back to work, you know? So so it really seems like having that flexibility really gives us a stronger work-life balance because- we if employers are saying yes take that flexibility so that you can live your life to the fullest you know while you're working just make sure you're getting your work done it it really gives us that new kind of flavorful work life balance that that I think people are looking for and enjoying and i and when i talk to people that are being forced back into the office I'll be honest, a lot of them are saying they're thinking about maybe moving on because they're, you know, they don't, they're, they're losing that flexibility that they were given before. So yeah, it's something well, th- for employers to think about.
0: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for, for joining here. And again, I'd like to thank Cindy A, Sen- Senior Business Ambassador at Arlington Economic Development and Steve Blair, President of LIS Lyceum Insurance Services for joining the show. To learn more about Return on Creativity, brought to you by the Agile Brand and Arlington Economic Development, please go to returnoncreativity.com. Thanks for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www. Dot the Agile Brand. Dot show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at GregKillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.